turn in your Bibles to the 10th chapter, book of Daniel, as we continue our study through the Word. So last time you will remember that we looked at Daniel chapter 9, and you'll remember that the book of Daniel, 12 chapters, really broken up into the first six, which are historical narrative of his life and his experiences, and, and then the second half are the visions and the revelations that God gave to Daniel. And, and you remember that last time, chapter 9, one of the very famous, famous chapters uh, here in the Bible and known as the 70 weeks prophecy. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus referenced that very teaching. But the ninth chapter began where Daniel records that in studying the the writings of Jeremiah, that it was given to him to understand that they would be in captivity, that Israel would be in captivity for a period of 70 years. And so he came to that recognition, to that understanding. And we we saw him in sackcloth, we saw him in ashes, we saw him praying and repenting. It was getting towards the end of that 70 years. Daniel is well advanced in his age at this time here. And, and you will remember that, that he is really repenting, repenting over his own sin, over the sin of the nation. We have sinned against you, God. We have not kept your commandments. And, and we see that that is the, the heart of repentance repentance, that coming to God and, and in contrition now, recognizing the, the failure and the fault. He says, you have judged us righteously. So even though they were underneath judgment, they, they were being punished. He says, you punished us rightly. You were just to punish us. We, we, you had told us that if we strayed from your commandment, that you would remove us from the land. And we strayed. We were an idolatrous nation. And so you and your righteousness did exactly what you said that you would do. And, and so he called upon the mercy of God, though. And, and he said that, you know, for your name's sake, for your glory, restore your people back to the land again. Not that they deserve it, but that God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his instrument to reveal his glory to the, the world. And so here we saw the incredible prayer, the intercession, the repentance there that began that, that ninth chapter and then moved into that 70 weeks prophecy, which really laid out now the history of the nation of Israel through to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and so there, the 70 weeks, at the end of 69 weeks, that there is going to be the Messiah, but he is going to be cut off. And so you'll remember that from the command to go forth to rebuild that was given by Artaxerxes, if you go forwards 483 years, you will come to the very day that Jesus Christ makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling not only Daniel chapter 9, but Zechariah said exactly how he would come in, that he would come in lowly and meek and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And, and so once again in Matthew chapter 24, we see 
Jesus' official presentation of himself as the Messiah. But it says that you're going to be cut off. And that word cut off means that you're going to be executed. And so even in there, we see the crucifixion that is predicted of the Messiah. says, but not for yourself. In other words, there was nothing that he had done wrong. And we talked about the way in which the the, the scriptures show us that there was no fault in Jesus. Pilate declaring, I find no fault in this man, the very thief on the cross, says this man has done nothing wrong. We're getting what we deserve. He, he has done nothing wrong. And so we talked about that final seven-year period, which is going to be what is known as the, the tribulation period. And, and it is at the end of that tribulation period that Jesus Christ is going to return back to the earth, physically put his feet on the Mount of Olives, and there establish the millennial reign of Christ, the Governments of the world will be finished. The religions of the world will be finished. All will come underneath the authority and the rule of Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem. And so an incredible, incredible prophecy that was given to Daniel there in Babylon. As we come to this 10th chapter here, we are going to see that the chapters 10, 11, and 12 make up the final vision that God gives that Daniel records for us. And, and so chapter 10 is going to really talk about his encounter now with Gabriel, who was sent to give him the interpretation. And so his encounter with Gabriel uh, here. And, and so we begin in this first verse, the 10th chapter, the book of Daniel, and it records for us in the theory third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And so here we see that, uh, that now the date is given to us, that it was in the third reign of Cyrus, uh, king of um, Persia. This is the, the time probably now just uh, a few years before uh, Daniel's death. And so he is at the very end of his life. And, and here Daniel tells us that the message was revealed. We are not told in exactly what form the, that this revelation came to Daniel, but what we do know is that he had understanding uh, of the meaning. It says that you know it wasn't followed by an explanation of its meaning uh, of the part of the angel uh, himself. The exiles had already returned at this point in time. You'll remember that the Babylonians had fallen to the Persians now. And so the, the Persians are now emerged as the world power, just exactly as that dream. Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream, you will remember the statue and, uh, and all. And so the Babylonians are, are going to be overcome by the Medo-Persians. And then the, uh, the Medo-Persians are going to be overcome ultimately by the Greeks and then the Greeks by the Romans. And, uh, and so we see the these successions that have formulated the history of the world domination of the Gentiles. And so this is the period that is known as the time of the Gentiles, when Jerusalem, Israel, the nation is underneath the judgment of God, and the judgment of God is going to be completed at the second coming.
coming of Jesus Christ. And so hey, here we see that now the, uh, the Medo-Persians uh, have conquered the Babylonian. Cyrus now is the king. It's in the third year. So the initial group has returned back to Jerusalem. The, uh, the nation now is rebuilding. Their captivity has ended and, and Jerusalem is being reoccupied. And, and so it says in verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks uh, were fulfilled. So when this revelation is given to Daniel, he just is overcome by the revelation. He, he is mourning over the the reality of what God has revealed to him. He's been so moved by this that, uh, that now he goes into a prolonged period of, of fasting and intense supplication and prayer. We see that Daniel was abstaining from meat and wine and delicacies so that he might give himself more fully over to uh, his waiting on God. We see that he also wasn't even grooming himself. He wasn't putting fragrant oil on his hair or his body. And, and so Daniel was fasting before the Lord for an extended period of time, for three weeks. And, and so we see that you know, fasting, there's many different types of fasting here. Daniel wasn't on a complete fast. He just was not eating meat and not drinking any wine and, and no desserts. Haagen-Dazs was not coming out. Uh, that was staying in the freezer. And, uh, and so, you know, Daniel was just not giving himself pleasantries. And, and so uh, we see that, you know, that, that this is a, a fast. Sometimes people think that fasting means, you know, no food whatsoever or, you know, that you're only going to do water. But it really what fasting is, is fasting is a denial of your flesh. We have the flesh and the spirit of man. And the flesh and the spirit are warring against uh, one another. And when you really want to press into God, then what you want to do is you won't want to be hindered by your body. You don't want your physical to be drawing you away from your focus and your attention on God. And so you are depriving it. You're saying, we're, we're not going to be celebrating and having fun right now. I'm not going to give you your carnal appetites and your carnal pleasures. Not that they're wrong. Eating and having ice cream, I find no sin in haagen believe me, okay? I'm just telling you right now. But uh, what we're saying is, is that we're going to deny ourselves uh, of that in order to be able to set that aside to really press into the Lord. And so it's a time of, uh, of preparation. Growing up, my family used to always fast for the 40 days that we're heading into Easter. And what we would fast growing up as kids is we would fast candy. We wouldn't eat any candy or treats. And we wouldn't eat it Monday through Saturday. Sunday was a free day. That was the day you could eat all the candy you wanted on that day, but then nothing else. And it was that time of just preparing your heart 
for Easter, for the resurrection, for the celebration of Jesus Christ coming out of that tomb. And so in that preparation, kind of lock down your flesh a little bit and focus a little bit more on the Lord. Here, we see that you know Daniel's doing a partial fast, and but he's mourning. His his heart is disturbed. He is sorrowful over the the chastisement. You know his hope was that once the exiles returned back to Jerusalem, that that would kind of end the chastisement for his people. But the chastisement for the nation of Israel is going to continue for two thousand years. Uh, more until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so as that is revealed to Daniel, he's, he's just broken uh, over that. And so he is just, you know, mourning. It's three weeks that, uh, that he is just uh, in this uh, state. And, uh, and so here we see that uh, that now uh, it says, and on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. And so it's uh, early spring, the 24th of Nisan would be 10 days uh, after Passover. Passover always uh, uh, occurs on the 14th of uh, Nisan. And so uh, here we see that uh, Daniel now is uh, at the bank of the Tigris River, not uh, in Babylon. Uh, but we see that probably on some sort of official business. And, and there he is by the bank of the Tigris River. And, and verse 5, And I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphas. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. We see here that, that this is one of the most detailed descriptions that we have in the scripture of the uh, appearance of, uh, of an angel or the angel of the Lord, the identity uh, here of who Daniel is describing. But you will remember that, you know, whenever the, the people have met with an angel, we see very similar, very similar descriptions here. Samson's mother reported uh, that the angel that she saw was very awesome in appearance, but didn't give, you know, more details. You remember that that the women that were at Christ's tomb and saw the angels, they said that they looked like men that were dressed in clothes that were dazzling white, that were just brilliantly white and gleamed like lightning. And, and so the same thing of the, uh, of the apostles when Jesus ascended uh, up and, and the angel that was there asked them, why are you looking up for in the same manner in which he departed? So also uh, will he return? But here again, it was in that, that gleaming white. So uh, here we read that you know, the angel was dressed in linen uh, and so may well been uh, dazzling white, but the belt that he has on, this was a, a belt that was made of the finest of gold, 
chain link belt that was uh, around or possibly hinged panels that were uh, gathered together. His body glowed. It was luminous color and uh, his face flashed like lightning in its uh, splendor. His eyes blazed, it says, like fire or like torches and and you remember in Revelation chapter 1 when Christ appears to John there on Patmos that uh, also that his eyes were like blazing fire and his arms and his legs and so these are exposed. They, they weren't covered so his arms and his legs they were visible and they, they gleamed like burnished bronze and once again, the voice. Here we see that Daniel records that, that, that it was just this, this sound of a multitude. We see that this same sound of a multitude is the sound of a crowd of people or it's the sound of, uh, of the chariot wheels and, uh, that we have described. And, uh, and in Revelation chapter 10, the angel gives a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And, uh, and so uh, now, who is this that Daniel has this vision of? In Revelation 1, we know that John is describing his vision in the, uh, in the midst of the seven candlesticks. One like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt around his chest with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And so when you look at the description that John gives us there of the Lord on the island of Patmos, you, you see that these descriptions really uh, match up. And it, it's hard to believe that Daniel was looking at anyone other than uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and one of the manifestations of Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, that's known as a Christophany when Christ, the priest, incarnate Christ, pre-incarnate. So before he, the incarnation uh, and before his earthly ministry, his appearance uh, now here upon this earth. And, uh, and so uh, we see here that, uh, that now, verse uh, 7, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. And, and so Daniel's companions here, they saw something. They saw this brilliance of light without seeing the actual uh, the Lord, but uh, they ended up fleeing. They departed from its uh, shining, and, uh, and so they couldn't comprehend it. You'll remember that Saul when he was on the road to Damascus and, and the Lord flashes to him the blinding light and then speaks to him. The others heard something, but they couldn't discern what exactly they had heard. You remember when Elisha 
is looking out at the Assyrians that are encamped uh, around them. And remember Dothan, his servant, comes and is all upset that the Assyrians in the night they had moved in and encamped uh, around them. And, and you remember that Elisha prays now and he says, Lord, let him see the reality. Let him see what, what I see. And, and the Lord opened up Dothan's eyes and then he saw the flaming angels that were surrounding the Assyrian army that was surrounding Jerusalem. And Elisha could see it, but Dothan couldn't. And, and so the, the, the ability to peer in, the ability to, to see the supernatural that coexists with our physical, the, the interaction of the supernatural with the natural is is a great mystery and it filled with awe and wonder. We do not completely understand at all the way these two dimensions are laid over each other and interact with each other. But the Bible tells us that we see through a glass dimly. We are just barely peering through into the veil of the supernatural that lies right on the other side of the physical dimension upon which we live in. It's interesting that the Bible tells us that, uh, that you can entertain angels unaware. I, that that thought blows me away. I wonder if you if you're an angel with us tonight, if you could just identify yourself here for us. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and so you know again. But the reality that that we have may, may have had intersections with angels, and I've I've heard a lot of stories where people wonder in hindsight in certain situations and circumstances where suddenly help showed up in an unusual uh, fashion. And then, and then departed in an unusual fashion as, as well, which you know just leads to the wondering: Was that an angel that that were entertained, you know, uh, unaware? But uh, here we see that. Uh, that that as Daniel now sees the Lord, the companions that were with him, although they experienced something, they uh, they did not uh, understand. A great terror fell upon them, so they fled to go and hide themselves, and and therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. And yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. And, and so once again, he, Daniel is so overcome by the vision of the Lord that, that he is just down on his face. He has no strength. His entire body just just is absolutely weak. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you are just absolutely terrified in your dream and to where, where you can't even cry out, where you can't even you know, seem to be able to run or flee or, or whatever, just absolutely overcome with, uh, with terror, not, not fear, way beyond fear, to an immobilizing, just absolute, you know, he's trying to describe what that feels like. And for him, he says, you know, no strength. I, I just 
was down on my face. He says, I, I was down on my face, but I wasn't asleep because I could, I could hear the words, but I, like, I didn't have any strength to even be able to, to pick my head up. I'm just, you know, uh, on my face. The, my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And, and so uh, here we see that you know, it's kind of like the the the, the same experience that we uh, that we have with Isaiah and uh, when you know in the year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and and His train filled the temple. And then I said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and I dwell in the midst of a people of, of unclean lips. And, you know, and so again, you know, the true effect of seeing the Lord. And when you come into the presence of the glory of the Lord, what seems to be this, this common experience is, is that the light of his glory lets you see yourself in a, in, in, a, in a fresh way, that it illuminates your sin in a way where our souls are stained, but I can't see the stain of your soul and you can't see the stain of my soul, but something about the glory of the Lord, suddenly it reveals the, uh, the stain and instantly there is just an, uh, an awareness of just, I am unclean in, in the presence of his holiness you just suddenly become so aware of how unclean we are you remember that peter when the miraculous draught of fish when, when he encounters the, the the supernatural and just experiences just just a, a, a minute glimpse of it instantly his response was to fall down and say depart from depart from me from i am a sinful man i mean that was the first response to just an encounter with a with a manifestation with a slight manifestation of of the glory here <laughs> this wasn't a slight manifestation here here is the lord revealing uh, himself to daniel and and daniel now just he is just dropped and and suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands and he said to me oh daniel man greatly beloved Wow, can you imagine hearing those words? I, I mean, I long and hope that every single one of us hears similar words when, when we stand before the Lord and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom and receive your reward. What a glorious moment that is going to be when we stand at the gates of heaven and the Lord looks you in the eye and smiles at you and welcomes you home. Here we see that, you know, Daniel's on his face and he's touched by the hand of the Lord. And he says, oh, Daniel. He hears his name being spoken from the mouth of the Lord. How glorious is it going to be when you hear your name spoken by the Lord? And in an affirming, loving accepting voice and tone he, he oh daniel he touches him 
physical touch and then the affirmation. You are greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. I think that's one of the things that, that above everything else, that, that my desire is that, that every single person would experience and, 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 and more fully and more fully is just how much God loves you. Just how much you're, you're loved. And I think that so oftentimes we think that God's disappointed with us or God's mad at us or God is, you know, standoffish from us that we're, we're not living up. We're not, you know, and we're so hard on ourselves that we, we take that, that harsh judgment of ourselves and then we, we project it onto God and think that that is the way that God is, is looking at us. And, you know, I, I so oftentimes I think it's like that, that six-year-old that is trying to color a picture for mom and dad. And they are trying to stay inside of the lines with, with every single bit of their strength, believing if they can just get this perfect that their parents are going to love that picture more than, than, than if they miss the lines. And the truth is, as a parent, you just love that they're coloring the picture and giving it to you, and you could care less whether it goes all over the lines or inside the lines, because the parent is seeing the heart. But the child is measuring the performance. And, and so I think that so oftentimes, you know, God's seeing, you know, our heart, but we're measuring our performance and, and not receiving the fullness of, of the love. Listen, you are loved. 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 The other day I was sharing in Lowe's and I had to go get a part and make a repair and uh, and I asked the gentleman that was helping me I asked him if he had seen the Jesus Revolution and and he hadn't and you know I you know, asked him uh, you know if he believes in God he said he was an agnostic I've had a string of agnostics lately that I've been running into you know and you know and so I was just talking to him and Talk, talk to him about Isaiah. Talk to him about the fact that you might know that I'm the true and the living God. That prophecy is what demonstrates that he is the true and the living God. And if you're agnostic and if you believe in, uh, in God, then, then that and God, do you believe that he's capable of communicating? Because, because if you believe in God, but you don't believe that he's capable of communicating, what kind of a God, what kind of a view of that God is he? That's a very limited, small God that hasn't figured out how to be able to communicate with everything that he's created, you know? And so, so I was just taking him left brain into the prophecy, showing him all that. But, you know, as we, as we walked away, and then we, we agreed to, to, to end the conversation. It wasn't, his heart wasn't open, and you know, I started to aggravate him, which wasn't my point. And, you know, and he's like, let's just agree to disagree. And I was like, that's a good place to drop it. You know, I was just trying to plant some seeds. But, you know, but I got into my car, right? You know, and, and this is what I felt like the Lord asked me. He said, did you tell him that I love him? I was like, Lord, I was, you, I was telling him about Isaiah, you know, and about the left brain, and, you know, and all, and all that, you know. And he's like, but did you tell him that, that I love him? And I went, you know what? I didn't do that. I thought that the two most important things to let every single person know is this. Whether you believe in it or not, know this. God loves you. And number two, you're missing out on the best part of life. You're, you're missing out 
on the best part, you know, of life. You can agree to disagree and, you know, whatever, but God loves you and you're missing out on the best part. Here we see that what are the words that the Lord says to Daniel? You're greatly beloved. You're greatly beloved. And know this, tonight you are greatly, you're greatly beloved. And so God's love for you is not performance-based. It's not performance-based. If, if you never sin again the rest of your life, if you're able to color inside the lines perfectly for the rest of your life, guess what? You're not going to be loved any more by God than you are right now. You're loved. Receive that. Allow that to fill you. Because see, if you're not receiving God's love into your own heart, how are you going to go give that out to others? And, and, you know, and so knowing him and receiving his love are two different things. Knowing the word of God and allowing and feeling his embrace, his love, his affirmation, his desire. He created you. He's been chasing you your whole life and he can't wait for you to be in his presence. He can't wait. You know what's so exciting? You know how we can't wait for heaven? I think that God can't wait for heaven, okay, for us to get to heaven. You know why? Because here's what happens. We're going to know him as we are fully known. And so we are only partially revealed to him, but he's going to blow our mind, you know, when he expands our mind and our capacity to be able to know him in a way that, that we are known by him. And, you know, and, and so we, what is in store for us is just phenomenal. You are loved. Please receive that. Please your devotions in the morning, they're not duty, they're not obligations. It's the time to just sit there and let God just love on you so that you get to get up and head out the door knowing that you've been loved on by the Lord. And what a way to start the day, you know, with a big hug and a kiss and tousling your hair, if you have any. And if not, then it's just a little shine, you know, on top and off you, off you go out the door by God. That's, that's the way to start the day, you know, right there. You're loved. You're loved. Greatly beloved. Understand the words. And while he was speaking this word to me, <laughs> I, I stood uh, trembling, even though God's telling me, I love you, I love you. He's still, you know, shaking. And, and then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. So, you're loved, and then what's the next statement that he gives to him? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid of tomorrow. You have nothing to, to fear. God is in control of tomorrow, and tomorrow brings you one day closer to his presence. And so he doesn't want you to live, you know, with this anxiety like, oh no, what if everything crashes tomorrow? See, the enemy wants to put that fear into you that everything's going to fall apart. Everything is going to be mm, terrible. And the, and, and the what ifs, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And what if, you know, and what if, and what if, and what if? And, you know, and, and then he likes to, to point in the past to, to you and, and to point out your failures. And the enemy is constantly trying to draw your attention away from the goodness of God 
and away from the love of God and to make you afraid of the future and to make you feel terrible about the past. And so the Lord tells you, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. And for the past, there's no condemnation. Your past is forgiven. It's washed away. God says, I have intentionally chosen to forget as far as the east is from the west. I've put your sin. I, I purposed to never remember that uh, any longer. It, it's gone. We're the ones that can't let go of things. God, he lets go. And, uh, and so, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be uh, afraid. I want to encourage you. Don't let fear rule your life. Don't let fear push you into decisions. Don't, don't allow fear to be a motivation. It's an, it's an emotion. You can't not feel the emotion, but don't let it have a voice into a decision that you are going to make. And, and keep pushing fear, the feeling when you do feel anxious, right? We push it out with faith. We have faith. Push the fear out. Perfect love casts out all fear. So how do I increase the the, 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 the love in my life, that's the faith. That's by turning to God, receiving his love. And as you receive his love, it pushes the fear right, right out. But the enemy wants you to dive deep into the in fear and think about it and strategize and, you know, and all of this stuff and pull you deep into it and twist you up like a pretzel. And, and God's saying, I... I want you to rise above that. I want you to have a peace that passes understanding. I want you to just experience the goodness in this life. And when you keep your eyes on me, you, you can live amazing above the circumstances that, uh, that is in your life. God's trying to teach each and every one of us how to live above our circumstances by faith. Your circumstances are going to go up and down. And sometimes you're just going to have great circumstances, and that's awesome. But there's other times that, that the circumstances are going to get sketchy, and we're all going to go through those. But he says, keep your eyes on me and rise above them. Learn how to live above Learn how to live above your circumstances. The world lives according to their circumstances. Your testimony to the world is living above the circumstances that, uh, that are in your life. And so, Daniel, you know, do not fear. Don't be uh, afraid. He says that, uh, you know, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Because three weeks he's been crying out and fasting and, and praying. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of um, Persia. So, you know, it's interesting uh, here that, you know, we get this insight into the, uh, the spiritual realm. You know, God has arranged the, the angels into ranks uh, of authority, power, and dominion, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. And Gabriel and Michael have been assigned authority over angels who administer God's affairs to the nation of Israel. When we see Israel involved, it's always Michael and Gabriel who are involved. But Satan, kind of imitating the false you know, kingdom, we see that he also has, has his demonic demons that are ranked according to positions. And they have authority here over different parts and different kingdoms. And, and so we see the prince of the 
Persian kingdom. Now remember that Persia has just stepped up to become the, uh, the world power, the Gentile world power on the face of the earth. And so this is the authority behind Persia that now has become this world power. And so we see that, you know, for, for three weeks there was a, a battle between Gabriel and, 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 and it wasn't until Michael, now one of the chief princes that are in the angelic realm, comes to Gabriel's assistance. And, you know, and so here we just kind of have an indication of the power of Satan. We see that, you know, that he's fighting, you know, with this, you know, with this demonic king of Persia here. And, and so it's interesting, you know, what does that look like? You know, what are the weapons? How do they fight with, the, with each other? We are not given any of the, uh, of the details, but it does say that we in our own lives end up wrestling also in the spiritual realm. It tells us that you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But you are wrestling with the forces that are behind the, uh, the flesh and blood against, you know, and so the, the wickedness and powers and high places and, and all. And so it's important, you know, that we keep and recognize and understand the, you know, the, the, the spiritual warfare that we experience in, in our lives. So, you know, the key to spiritual warfare, you know, are the three R's. First, you have to recognize. You have to recognize, recognize, recognize that you're not battling against flesh and blood, but that there is the spiritual reality that is behind it. Second thing is you have to resist. The Bible says that if you resist the devil, that he will what? That he will flee. And so there is a, a resisting part that, that is uh, on our part. And then, you know, you want to be able to rejoice because Jesus defeated Satan. And, and so, you know, when we are battling in the realm of the spirit, know that Satan is a defeated foe. But so the reality of you know, of the spiritual behind the, the physical and all. I remember when I was a new Christian, I read this book that just was so fascinating. I still, uh, I still enjoy, I have fond memories of it. And it's um, uh, This Present Darkness by uh, Frank Peretti. And, you know, it's just this fictional novel, but, you know, it's like, yeah, I remember this one scene that just forever is burned into my mind. And it's like, and, and so this guy, he's, he, he's racing down a mountain, he's being chased. And you know, and he's and he's on this windy road, and it's steep mountain pass, and he's coming down. And, and in the book, you know, every single time he goes and he makes this hard turn, the demons are sitting there trying to push it off the road and over the cliff, and, and the angels are on the other side, and they're pushing to keep the car on the road. And so here's this guy just driving, and here's this titanic battle of these angels that are, and he's completely oblivious to all of this. He's just trying to drive down the road, and there is this interaction 
that is going on all the time around us. There are these conflicts in the spiritual realms that we're not visibly seeing and God is protecting and watching over and the demonic realm is seeking its opportunities to enter in and attack and we're just walking around dirty, 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 you know. Lucky dog, lucky dog, you know. And all of this stuff that is going on, you know, around us. And so, you know, we don't really understand, you know, all of it. I think that, you know, it's really important that, that you stay balanced in it, you know. Some people see a demon behind every rock, every bush, every tree, every, every single thing that happens to them is just a demon, you know, and, and all that. So I think you can take it way too far. But then to be oblivious of the, uh, of the warfare, of the spiritual oppression. An example, I, I promise you've experienced this whether you recognize it or not. Do you realize that every single time you try and go to church, you're facing spiritual warfare? You know, it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, somebody, you know, the dog just threw up and, you know, and this and I can't find my keys. And there's the, and it's just like, just notice the way, you know, remember that it's supernatural, but it's through the natural. It's just like normal means because anytime you're going to try and step towards God, you're going to face resistance and it's just going to come in just the most ridiculous ways or better yet, right? How many people get in fights on the way to church, (laughs) you know, and it's like the enemy just, he's like, spark it up right now, you know, you're on your way to the house of the Lord, you know, And, and, and so, you know, and it's just, it's these, it's, that is the kind of stuff that you start to notice the patterns, though. When you start to recognize that when you're going to do a spiritual activity, just watch. You're going to face some resistance, you know, and that resistance, that's the, uh, the spiritual warfare. And, uh, and so here we see that, that now Daniel prays, God sends Gabriel to bring this message that he has to Daniel and, and the prince of Persia stops stops Gabriel and and for three weeks he will not let him pass he is not letting him get down to Daniel there and he is he has the authority over you know for, and so they <laughs> for three weeks he's trying to break through and finally Gabriel now uh, uh, Michael the archangel has to come now and break through and get Gabriel to Daniel uh, and so this amazing scene that you know that we have just a glimpse of but boy the details that are that are behind this and, and how this all operates but and Daniel here you know is uh, is given that he says and now I have come he's like whoo you know got here three weeks uh, later now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days uh, yet to come Uh, and so the angel now begins to uh, explain to Daniel the destiny now uh, of the nation of uh, Israel and all the way to the to the last days and so you know he's telling that this vision now is for you know the the age and the final period of world history before the Son of Man comes back in great power and authority. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, 
saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? And as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. And so Daniel now just, he remains speechless. He is just so emotionally overcome here to, to, to even be able to form uh, any words. And, uh, and then now we see that there is the touching now of Daniel's lips that, that empowered him and enabled him to be able to, to bring forth the, uh, the words that are, uh, that are there. You know, again, we see that he declares, I'm overcome by the anguish because of the vision. And, and then there is the strengthening, the touching of the lips to be able to speak. And very similar to once again, Isaiah, when he sees the vision of the Lord and you know, says, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And, and you remember the, the seraph now comes and touches you know, a live coal to Isaiah's you know, lips to be able to give his mouth new power to be able to speak forth to Israel in, in God's name. And, and so here also we see the touch uh, was needed um, by Daniel in order to be able to regain his capacity, his ability to be able to speak. And, and then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Here we see the, the twin messaging once again. You know, repeats. And why, why is God repeating that? Well, he's repeating it for emphasis because we see that this is what he needs to hear. And this is what we need to hear today. You're greatly beloved. You are greatly beloved. And don't be afraid. Whatever you are facing, whatever is in front of you today, whatever trial you've got going on in your life, and, and know this, don't be afraid and you're greatly loved. Know that and be strengthened. It was the touch of the Lord upon him that strengthened him. In the house of the Lord, the Lord touches you. When you open up the word of God, God touches you. The Lord touches you. When, uh, when you lift up your voice in, in worship, he inhabits the, the, the praises of his people where two or more are gathered together. There he is. It's that touch of the Lord that strengthens you, that strengthens you, that, that strengthens you. God wants you to share what you're going through with others. He doesn't want you to carry it and all by yourself and we weren't meant to be this island and and to experience that's why he said that where two or more are gathered in my name there i am that there is that there is a, a power and a presence of the lord that comes only by opening your heart up and being real and being vulnerable and being humble with somebody else and and then you are encouraged and exhorted and the presence of the Lord touches us. And so, again, that honesty, that transparency, being willing to share the things that concern you and, and those, the depths of your soul. God wants you to be loved, but you cannot receive love if you won't let anybody see you. 
If you won't let anybody see you, if you're hiding inside your own skin, God, God wants to draw you out with other believers and, and allow you to experience his love and his acceptance from the community of the, uh, of the church. And that's what you were created to uh, experience. Look, you, 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 can, you can study online, you can have messages online and all, but you cannot experience the community of the church uh, online, the community of touching each other and being each other's presence. And, and so here we see that the Lord touches them. And then what does he tell them? You're loved and don't be afraid. Uh, and he said to me, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Be strong and in the Lord and the power of his might minds us of Joshua and the commissioning of Joshua you know Joshua suddenly he finds himself appointed by God to lead the nation of Israel and it's like you know how do I do this how do I how do I lead your your entire people and and he was fearful and we see over and over you know Joshua being commanded to uh, to be strong and do not be afraid. Just be strong in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Be strong in the Lord. That means your faith. He's talking about your faith. Not looking by sight, but looking by faith. And that is that strong faith that just keeps your eyes on the Lord. And, you know, it's that, that tightrope walking. And, you know, you're walking across and you're up at a great height. And the number one rule is what? Don't look... Don't look down. Do not keep your eyes straight ahead. Because if you look down, you're going to go out of focus and you are going to start to lose it. You know, your balance. It's, it's the same kind of thing. It's Peter, you know, when he gets out of the boat and he's looking at the Lord. And it's like, don't look down, Peter. Don't look at that. He's doing good. He looks at the wind and the waves. Ah! You know, and, and down he goes. So, you know, be strong. If you're in a battle right now, listen. Don't get your eyes off of the Lord. Be strong in your commitment to just keep your eyes on the Lord. That's your strength. That's where your strength is going to come from, is from the Lord. Don't look at the wind. Don't look at the waves. Don't listen to the what-ifs and, and the fear that is waiting to just swallow you and drag you down. And so be strong. And he says, yes, again, I say to you, be strong. It's not your own strength. Be strong in your determination to keep your eyes completely locked onto Jesus's. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Lock onto the Lord and then just let him lead you out of the trial that you are in, the tribulation that you are going through. And so here we tell tells Daniel, you know, here at the end of his life, peace to you, but be strong. Yes, be strong. And this to someone who already, you know, had the faith in the lion's den. You know, I mean, this already to this, this veteran warrior of the Lord. So it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter how many victories you've had in the past. Every new victory is going to require you to get victory the same way you've gotten every other victory, and that's in the strength of the Lord and keeping your eyes, you know, on the Lord. And so, and even to Daniel. So, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. 
and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. I hope today was a day of strengthening for you. I hope tonight was a night that the Lord strengthened you. That when you walk out of here today, that you are loved, that you have strength now, and that you have peace in your soul, and that you walk your eyes on the Lord. This was the encounter. This was the outcome of that time that uh, that Daniel spends with the Lord. And, and then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So uh, remember now that we're talking about the kingdoms of the world. And so who replaces the, the empire of the Medo-Persian empire? The, the Grecian Empire. And so, you know, here he says, I'm battling right now with the Persians, but after the per Persians, then I get to take on the, uh, the Greeks and the, uh, and the angel of the Greeks that now is going to be that uh, authority that I am going to battle with. And so the, the world empires have this, this prince that is over them, and he's battling the prince of Persia right now, but he, he says, you know, and next up, so, you know, he's got his next fight already lined up you know and so uh here we see that the messenger now is you know about to tell daniel about god's plan you know for israel and uh, and so here uh, we see in in verse 21 and it says but i will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth no one upholds me against these except uh, michael your prince and so uh, once again, Michael seems to be, you know, that uh, that prince over the uh, the nation of uh, Israel and and leads the battle against the uh, demonic representatives uh, there, the Prince of Persia and anybody else that opposes God's people. And so, know this that God has His angels that are watching out for you protects you, goes before you in ways that you're not even aware of, that ways that I'm not even aware of, but know this, he, he doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. He's watching out for you. He's created you, listen carefully, for victory. He's created for you to rise above your circumstances, be strong in your faith, know that you are loved, and be courageous. And let's go church let's go let's pray <laughs> heavenly father we thank you that you have a purpose and a plan and even in that purpose and plan there are going to be trials and tribulations and and so you are teaching us uh, how to get victory you are teaching us how to be comfortable in the discomfort of circumstances that by sight frighten us and make us uneasy. But Lord, you teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so God, would you strengthen us this day? Would you help us to rise up now? And Lord, and would you help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Would you help us, Lord, to receive your love, to receive that love so that we can go and love others. And may you just press the truth that your love for us is not performance-based, it's creation-based. 
You love us because you created us. You love us because we're yours. And so we can call you Abba, Daddy. And so, Father, make that a reality. Help us to experience that truth in our lives, and may we be transformed by your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.